With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so welcome to Who Got the Assist? It's season six of this questionable institution, with this pod being the starting gun of a new campaign as we seek to shake off some of the rust that's accumulated since we downed tools back in May, never to look at FPL ever again. Look at FPL again, we shall, as after a bit of time off and a bit of time for the old batteries to recharge, I'm back for another year. For new listeners, my name is Tom, and I'll probably be your mainstay throughout the season who got the assist. And for returning listeners, yep, it's me again. Sorry. Thanks so much for your support over the years. I find myself actually raring to go. And I think in part that's because I've yet again got a new co-host to start the season with. And I'm hoping this one will last a tad longer than the last couple did. Yes, the newbie on the block is Lucy at Lucy Hynet, who agreed to co-host with me this season. But I imagine after a really hectic preseason, we've got a couple of pods already in the can. Quite a lot of work already been done towards this season, uh, which I mentioned in a little bit, and a rather long logo redesigning process. Um, you're probably wondering, Lucy, what the hell you've done agreeing to this? Anyway, you're right. I'm all right, thank you. And very pleased to be here, despite all of the above and the intense <laughs> summer schedule and the replanning and the Gantt charts. And anyway, enough about the background. Um, and a slightly, I think, a slightly later than anticipated launch of FPL. I think by this point in the, season, the summer, we expected we'd be discussing, you know, the game in its entirety. And there are a few question marks at this point, I think. Mm. But yes, very much looking forward to discussing more and introducing a bit more of myself we are who got the assist you can find tom on the main pod account at wgta underscore fbl and you can find me lucy at lucy Hynett. on the pod today we'll have a general welcome for new listeners and a welcome back for returning listeners including some introductions apparently mostly for me as i'm new, new to the pod but i'm hoping that doesn't last too long and then we'll move on to some speculation about those question marks i just referenced um, about what's to come in the season ahead and what we might need to prepare for. Yeah, I think that'll be kind of more macro sort of stuff. I mean, just to date where we are, it's Monday the 4th of July. We've had the first set of price releases by kind of the 20 teams, but we haven't got the full game right now. 
So as Lucy mentioned, we're going to be kind of sticking to the macro stuff for now and uh, talk about a few of the prices that we've seen, obviously, but we'll kind of drill down into a proper price analysis kind of this time next week. Uh, but yeah, for the first part, it's kind of just general welcome back stuff and welcome to WGTA for new listeners. Welcome to Lucy and all that sort of thing. And I think just, you know, it's worth just kind of giving a little introduction to to, to WGCA, everything, as you can tell from my kind of hesitation, I don't really like doing this. I know I want to get on to just talking about FPL. No, but... I, I don't either. Let's make it quick. <laughs> yeah, we have we have to do it, don't we? So um, yeah, WGCA has been around for six years, um, well, five years, as just heading into the SIP. I started off with my friend Nick from school. He'll be back for a couple of pods, I think, this year. And we kind of just started it just because we kind of both love fantasy football, both a bit ill at one point in our lives as well, and found that FPL was the kind of strange thing that got us through it like I personally had a blood cancer a Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was 25 and I look back on my time remember I did a pod with him a long time ago uh, on because introducing us I look back on my time of having cancer and in between the pictures of you know stuff being injected in me and all this sort of thing there was just loads and loads of fpl images you know like wild card drafts you know transfers that i was looking to do and i realized god i really love this game something weird about it has hurt me and i just you know i just, I just thought you know what once once i'm better I'll, I'll see if i can figure something out and nick luckily agreed and you know six years later here we are unfortunately well here i am i suppose unfortunately nick is not but fortunately i've got nick with uh, i've got lucy with me and um, so yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> just a very very quick bottom history do you want a potted history of your co-hosts as well i feel like i need the history of a co-host to work out where i'm going to go wrong really you know what with any deaths involved anything like that um i mean yeah i mean i've had so you're the fourth co-host but i feel like i'm kind of henry the eighth here just getting through co-hosts like he got through wives so nick started off selfishly he decided to go off and have a family so he's, he's got two kids now and he's very happy but obviously that diminished his time for fantasy football and then anthony fpl stag um i don't think he's that active anymore but he came on board a nice irish lad um and uh he was my co-host for quite a while i think he when i went to australia traveling for a couple of months he kind of came on and then kind of he stuck around and when nick dropped off he was obviously naturally just he came on board anyway um and he left because he decided to get a life as well being a a, there's a a common thing people having lives yeah, yeah, he's a he's a proper lawyer now. And then Harry came in for ten weeks because I thought, well, I wanted to just kind of just to make my way to the end of the season. And obviously, we spoke to you about taking part, but Harry was keen to just kind of step in for a little bit. Uh, Harry was on the back end of last year, FPL Harry, and then he left um, to go and kind of expand his own brand. So I'd like to think that I've given him a platform, you know, taught him everything that I know, and he's now gone off to become a massive success. No, I'm kidding. He's, he was always one before me, but yeah. So yeah, um, and then obviously you, I'm very happy. I was very happy that you agreed to come on board um, when Anthony said he was leaving. I mean, we're thinking, oh, you know, who could we get on board? I think we, we both kind of unanimously and without kind of consulting each other said, oh, we're good to speak to Lucy. Yeah, it would be really good, actually. So yeah, that's a positive history of co-hosts. That's a positive history of WGTA very, very quickly. Good, lovely. And um, I guess the, the final like way of kind of understanding WGTA and understanding Tom uh, would be like, how have you found playing FBL while hosting a pod? Um, I'm not going to think this is that positive, but no. you know, it'd be good to get some insights. <laughs> You tell by the sniggering there. Um, it's not. Been, it's not been very good. No. Um. Unfortunately, my ranks have uh, had an extra digit attached to them. I used to finish kind of you no know, top. Um. At least four or five digits, and it's kind of gone to six since I'm doing a podcast. I think 
I definitely struggle with being on Twitter. We'll talk, speak about a little bit about that in a bit. Um, all the time trying to promote my podcast, and I've been I've struggled really with kind of just essentially my world being thrown wide open from just seeing what my friends in mid league did, you know, seeing what Nick was doing every week and talking about him. Suddenly I had thousands of people who I could see what they were doing and kind of speak to them about it. And I think my brain just like the, the mental overload of it just meant that I just lost any sense of who I was. Things like analysis paralysis, loads of things that we spoke about in the payroll science podcast, like all kicked in. And I think I'm just a, a product of, somebody who just shouldn't be trusted to be on Twitter ever if you're an FPL manager. I'm definitely too impressionable. I'm the sort of person Darren Brown would prick out of a crowd. I just I'm just not the right character to be on Twitter. Yes I am, but I think it's one of those things I need to try to control myself a little bit. So I think that that's probably the key thing unfortunately, which has kind of led to a real slide in my fortunes. You don't want to say apart from Aldea. <laughs> yeah. Well, ho- hopefully you can steer me to clearer waters next year, Lucy. So, yeah, I mean, Lucy, um, well, I mean, I'm going to let you introduce yourself in a second, but Lucy was one of those people who um, is, very, is a very, very good manager, lots of ridiculously good ranks, which is quite good because it balances me out a little bit. It means that we're kind of, you know, between us, probably in the top 100K together. <laughs> but um, I think it was really, it's really good to have Lucy on as well because I think, well, from what, on one hand, it's a different managerial style to me, um, very similar to kind of Nick in some ways, fairly kind of template. I wouldn't say boring, but you kind of you're quite good at picking up on the trends and keeping on the trends, whereas I end up kind of bouncing around, fighting, doing stupid stuff, um, and also obviously. You know, I, we're probably the most diverse pod, I think, now in terms of having an ethnic minority and a woman um, as the two hosts. Not that that's actually a reason why I invited you on, but it's one of those things that occurred to me afterwards. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we all know it's just because I'm a woman. You're just doing it, aren't you? <laughs> just for that reason. Um, no, I'm sure it's not. Um, yeah, I, I agree with all of those things you just said. Um, I am very template and very boring. And I don't actually mind either of those things. I think I used to uh, fight against it, you know, five, six seasons ago. I might have said, no, I don't know what you mean. I look very closely at the stats and I just go with what I feel. But no, I am very template. Um, not always because it's template, but I just find myself generally coming up with the very logical boring choices um so yes you can expect more of that but hopefully as tom says we will balance each other out as i don't have a potted pod history i guess a quick understanding of of where i've come from from an fpl perspective would would be a good idea um i guess my first interaction with fantasy football as even a concept would have been helping my grandfather with his very 20th century incarnation of mailing into a newspaper to change your team so oh wow yeah, yeah. Pick it all out from the newspaper, including the prices, and then mail it off. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty impressive dedication, really. I, mean, I don't think I, I could be bothered to do that. But yes, that was my first engagement with it. And then I started playing Channel 4 fantasy football for a while. I don't know if anyone ever played that. No, nothing. No? Never heard cool. of it. Yeah, so that was, that was then um, retired, and that's how I ended up on the official site, because a friend said to me, oh, you should get on this. And then I kind of really got into FPL kind of seriously after I graduated from uni and started doing my master's and had a lot of time at home on my hands. Um, so my, if you've seen my rank history at any point, you, you'll see it pick up significantly after my three years at university when I started actually having less parties and a lot more boring stuff to procrastinate about. Mm. Um, and yeah, it sort of took off from there, really. I took a year out from FPL to finish my PhD because it had become a bit of a uh, distraction. And I have kind of kept up with it, got a job via FPL, actually, via Tom and FPL. 
and the guy you may know called Hindu Monkey. And FPL has kind of defined my life in, in quite a few ways, um, in a good way. And I'm hoping that this will be the next good chapter in FPL, or I'll just be cursed like everyone else. <laughs> I hope so too. I mean, I, I remember that we spoke on fantasy football scout forums back in the day. I've got a distinct memory of speaking to you on there, you know, back back in the, back in those days where you had to kind of keep refreshing to see what the person had said, and by the time, and then you kind of got to the end, it's like, oh, there's a new, there's a new article, and everyone had gone there, jump to the next one, yeah, yeah. So, that, so the conversation just died, <laughs> and it was, it was a very kind of strange way of doing it. I mean, bless them, I'm sure they're still going for some of them, but and I remember I kind of I found you, I found Hindi Monkey on Twitter, and a few other people kind of just threw you all together, and it's yeah, it just turned out that you and you and the Hindi Monkey both lived in Sheffield, and he had a job opening. It's very very fortuitous in a lot of ways wasn't it um but yeah anyway bizarre but yeah that's kind of we haven't actually met in real life though which is weird i think yeah a little bit yeah. i probably need to leave sheffield at some point yeah get out of your bubble you your husband who's also confusingly called tom uh, can come and uh, and see us in, in bexley heath in southeast london at some point so show you the sights of suburbia southeast london anyway let's move away from that because it is incredibly um yeah i don't like doing the selfie stuff and move on to just on talking fpl so I guess for the season ahead, Lucy, I mean, last season, as you kind of intimated if, for people who listened last season at the end, that it wasn't the best of seasons after a really good one the season before. I think you finished double digits, didn't you? Um, not quite. Tri- triple digits. How was it? 500 and something? Five... 403. Not that that number is etched into my mind or anything. <laughs> yes, it's not, not the tattoo on your arm. Or no, 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 no. Okay, so after 403 to kind of... I think you got a six-digit finish, didn't I you? Did, yeah, um, I did. What are your kind of objectives the season ahead? Are there any? Is there anything you're going to try to do differently? Like, what are you doing? What are you thinking you'll be doing uh, this season? Um, I think, as we discussed at the end of the season, I really struggled with kind of keeping my head straight when things started to go against me and started to panic about EO and um, what a player might do to my rank if they went wild. And I think that probably distorted my my kind of thoughts so the key one being that I sold Son for Kane for a hit but I won't keep going on about it um so I think being a bit more critical trying not to get sucked into those kinds of FOMO themes that I'm constantly sucked into yeah um I think to make better use of kind of stuff like FPL review and all of the kind of algo stuff to kind of sense check ideas when I've got them um, especially when I feel a bit kind of wobbly about ideas and to probably be a bit more critical and engaged about my chip play because I felt that that didn't really get used as it should have last season. I didn't really utilise chips. And for someone who's quite a steady template player, chips are quite important because they give me a bit of an accelerant. Otherwise, normally I'm just chipping away at rank very slowly. Um, yeah, the chips are quite important. So I'd rather like to get those back on track probably thinking a bit more outside of kind of template strategies and being a bit more thoughtful about those I think um, especially as I'm glad I'm sure we'll come on to that the World Cup may have an impact on chips yeah I have to see what happens with that no interesting interesting and how, you know, how about you I'm not entirely I've still I, I, to be honest it's one of those things that because it's been going on for so long I've kind of struggled I've kind of been doing I've always seemed to do all right until November December time and just have a horrible January I think every almost every season I've kind of 
you know, had a two or three 50-50s just go wrong around the turn of the year, which always mean that I end up kind of fighting uh, towards the end of the season to really kind of do anything decent. And I guess a lot of that, and a lot of that kind of thinking about where I am, how I'm doing, a lot of that obsessing is really just down to effective ownership and understanding it. Like I said so many times that if I could do like a, a neural scrub and forget what the concept of EO is and just never know it and you know, live blissfully without it, I, I think I, I, I do that in a heartbeat, really get like a neuralizer done on me just because it's one of those things which is now so pervasive in my mind that especially from Twitter, which I'll speak about in just a second. And I think that that's kind of hampered me a lot because I end up making really with the grain calls and I shouldn't be. And I also end up sort of being on the other side of that oddly where the the against the grain calls don't pay off. And then the calls when I do go with the grain, I should have gone the other way. At least that's how I remember it. And we'll come on to that in the paper science pod. Um, And I just, I just feel like, unfortunately it's always it, it kind of does feel like it's being on twitter a little bit that's uh making me go that way and talk i think i've definitely dampened down my engagement over the last year or so just because of that but even then you no know, i still was browsing twitter i was still kind of looking at what people were saying in group chats still occasionally getting involved so i think i'm going to have to kind of be quite stern with myself going forward and, and just try to eschew twitter a little bit in terms of kind of strategizing about my team and thinking about what i want to be doing and i've really got to kind of take it to my you know doing it on this pod's great because i'm able to speak to you and you know, doing it in my little slack and so with people that i do trust but i think the, the further it goes out the more you kind of start to kind of get like voices from all sorts of margins which impact what you're thinking is you end up being so muddled that you end up just kind of going oh i might just go with the eo so i think the way in which I'll do it is try to restrict Twitter a bit. I, I don't know what I'm going to do about captain this year, because last year I went with an algorithm captain all the time, and that led to things like captaining Kai Havertz. I led to things like captaining Antonio over Bowen. That led to things like um, captaining Ronaldo and not bothering to buy Bruno, or that week he absolutely exploded last year. Do I, I painful, don't painful week I, that week. I don't blame the algorithm for that, because it made sort of sense. I think it's just one of those things where looking at that compared to um, the numbers in terms of what people were actually doing on the captaincy polls and things it just it just makes me think that maybe I just kind of I do want to take captain out of the equation because I just feel, feel like it's it's always something that I do really badly at whether it's me um, choosing the captain which has been universally terrible or the algo maybe I'll give the algo another go I don't know so I think maybe I might just be really dull and just go with the captain polls this year like just just do that I know it sounds really crap but it might be the best way to just kind of take out the equation and focus on identifying players and bringing players in so I still I'm still fairly good at that it is just the captain halls um son end of last season aside that have really punished me um for, and that perhaps means that it'll have to be has to be something like that um, yeah, I think sure? sometimes captain polls make a lot of sense but then again when you have those very even ones where there's you know quite a a spread that's when it becomes more complex I think um, yeah, well, even that though, I think that would be quite good to maybe think about what I think is the best. And it's, it's the risk of sounding horribly new agey, it's it's a little bit about the rediscovering myself and what made me good at fantasy football. And I think that that's probably something that I'm going to try to do this year. And so I used to be kind of quite a risky player in in my mini league. It was all about kind of beating the next person above me and kind of thinking, right, okay, he's got this person, right, I'm going to get this person. 
And EO exploded that and made me a very different sort of player because I was so conscious of what I felt like I should be doing to cover my ass. Um, so maybe finding a blend of play yeah, styles. Yeah, I'm not going to do it, and I don't think I ever will do it. But I have always wondered what focusing on a mini league would do to your game. Like, if as long as you're on a you know of a decent quality mini league, whether having the idea that you're covering off rivals rather than like the the big unquantifiable effective ownership i do when i walked out into when i walked into or figuratively walked into fpl twitter i saw people going oh top one percent finish oh top 10k and i was i don't even know what these things are like, i didn't know what my ranks were all i all i knew was i won the mini league twice out of the last three years i wanted to win it again the next year i had no like, I only really learned that like oh last year I did all right I didn't even realize that that was quite good like it's one of those things where you know it widens your perspective but it kind of hurts that perspective as well because it means it, it just affected how I play basically it was so, a happier time wasn't it when you didn't know it was it was a blissful place it was a sun upland I wish I could get back to much like breakfast want to get back to the 1950s <sighs> and if that annoyed you you probably listen to this pod much longer right um and if, uh, I think we'll probably speak a bit more when it comes to game week one. We've got our teams, we've got our structures in play about how we're going to at least play it early doors. It may be that there's no kind of overriding philosophy like long-term listeners will know. Will know last year, me and Anthony tried to get in some early season objectives that we tried to stick through throughout the whole year, be like a thin blue line for everything. That did not really work. It just got a bit constrictive more than anything else. Um, so it might be a case of playing it by ear. But I'm still really kind of you know, looking forward to to getting into it. And also just to mention, you know, pre-season, as I said a minute ago, we have been very busy over pre-season. Um, so the pricing pub will come hot on the heels of this next week. We're going to give ourselves a week for it to marinate and just avoid it being a bevy of hot takes, frankly. Um, so we won't, we won't leave it too late. We, I think last year we left it a little bit too late. That'll be kind of next Tuesday, 12th of July. Summer specials this year are on ITKs and behavioural science. Um, they'll be out in the following couple of weeks, so the 18th and 25th of July, respectively. Um, we've already recorded those. They're really, really bloody good. And the final pre-season pod is on the 1st of August before the season kicks off. And I've already written Talisman Theory because I'm incredibly sad and wanted to write a 10,000 word data essay um it, it's going to be published on all about fpl this year um, and it will be out three weeks probably prior to the season starting to the 18th of july as well and i'll give a few i, I think a, a few of the bits that we speak about in just a bit we'll kind of um, anchor on that a little bit just because it's quite useful in terms of still in the conversation cool right that is everything for the first part let's take a quick break there and move on to some chat about how the season is going to progress we think just after this who got the assist? Who got the assist? Cool, right, we're back. And it's time to think about the season to come a little bit. As I mentioned earlier on, we will give a full chapter on verse in terms of price reaction and proper analysis next week. I think it's something, as I said earlier on, which needs a bit of time to marinate and think about rather than kind of creating hot takes, the more vacuous of which can be found via multiple accounts, big and small on twitter.com if you like beige colouring in your life. Um, but I mean, we'll leave it for a week and we'll try to think about it and come up with something and with a bit more detail. Next time we'll think about things like team structure, price points and things like that. Here we're going with macro. And as Lucy mentioned earlier on, a good place to start is the World Cup in the middle of the season. I mean, Lucy, how much of an impact do you think that's going to have on FPL this season? I think a fairly significant one, um, mainly because we don't really know what they're going to do in terms of giving us uh, a way out, I suppose. I was kind of expecting that we'd have some kind of extra wild card or some kind of special chip 
The World Cup falls between game week 16, which is November the 12th, and 17, which is Boxing Day. Um, and if that additional chip isn't forthcoming during launch, I think we have to assume we haven't got one. And that would therefore open up kind of potential divergence on chip strategies and the potential to need to reassess how we design our game week one squads, because it would therefore mean that we'd need to basically consider whether we can get the whole squad to last till game week 16. Don't know if that's a possible idea, but that's basically what we're going to have to look at. And that would therefore mean that you wouldn't be looking at kind of I mean, I tend to look at the first seven or eight game weeks max for a game week one squad. Um, if we haven't got any kind of chip before the World Cup, you'd think we might need to wait until game week 16. And that therefore means that you're probably not hitting the first few weeks quite as aggressively. Perhaps. I mean, you've got, I think this year and last year are quite different cases, but there are some similarity between them in that they were, they're both kind of a, there's a sense of chaos about them because of that kind of unknown unknown this year i think it's chaos by design because we know that that's coming whereas last year it was kind of chaos through randomness like we didn't know what was coming and then you had towards the end of the season double game weeks which came thick and fast and frankly got a bit fatiguing because you had all of this sort of kind of blowback from the initial sort of disruption. And this year, we're going to have that disruption, but it seems like it's going to be fairly well managed. You know, you've got Ben Crellin saying, there's not going to be that many double game weeks this year. Well, compared to last year's glut, anything is less <laughs> double game weeks, let's be fair. Um, but yeah, you're right, there's going to be some changes. We've also got um, some midweek game weeks coming up fairly soon so game week five and game week 12 and midweekers for example and i think lucy don't you think there'll be some impacts on players as well like there'll be players trying to impress playing out of their skin trying to make a late run to you know get in their countries uh, get on the plane and also perhaps a semblance towards the end of players trying to preserve themselves uh, during the regular season too Yes, I think that will very much depend on the psychology of the player as to how secure they feel in their World Cup squad. I think those players that are on the fringes, as you said, will be pushing that bit harder. Those that are kind of pretty confident that they're there, you know, the Kevin De Bruyne's of this world may be thinking, well, I'd like to give, you know, Kevin De Bruyne probably wasn't a good pick given that Belgium probably haven't got a great chance. But, you know, I mean, a team with a good a good chance in the World Cup, those players might be... Yeah. Uh, less keen to push hard. Um, I think there's also the consideration that there will be a number of fairly high-profile high players that won't be going to the World Cup. So yep. Salah, for example, Haaland's a good example, Robertson, I mean, if you want to go a bit further down, Odegaard. There's there's quite a lot of players that their nations aren't involved at all. So you know that they are fairly safe picks from a kind of fitness perspective um, over the course of that period. Um, and then you've got to consider that there will be teams that, say, City, for example, easily have over a dozen players involved in a World Cup and what impact that might have on them kind of pre and post World Cup, mainly post World Cup, I would guess. The other thing, Tom, would be to consider kind of what happens with the teams further down the league um, and whether that might be a positive thing for them. Well, potentially, I think, so in Talisman Theory last year, we saw a big sort of dispersal of points, but the lower teams still operated in, this, in a kind of a similar way to what we've seen before. I'll come on to the bigger teams and what happened in the wider FPL game in just a minute. But with the smaller teams, you still typically look at 
kind of the one or two key men because frankly and no offense to Southampton your team Lucy or uh, any other sort of team in that area you're always kind of drawn towards one or two players unless the fixtures really start to kick in and shift that's um, offensive it's just it's reassuring really <laughs> yes a madman it's a by war prowse triple up and um, yeah and um, I, I think that with the smaller teams, I just wonder how the bunching of fixtures is going to affect them. I don't think it's going to be too bad, but if you throw in the Premier League, FA Cup, League Cup, on top of everything else with squads potentially down the league, not particularly being as fattened as they are further up, maybe we may see some sense of fatigue amongst those players. But I don't know. I don't know whether it's going to be that way. I wonder whether kind of... It's a bit of a double-edged sword, though, isn't it? Because, the, yes, they have the squashing of fixtures either side of the World Cup, but those teams will also have very few players involved in the World Cup. So they get the kind of... If they can get through the kind of truncated fixture period, they've potentially got, what's six weeks, nearly, to just work on the basics, making sure that they're rested getting things restarted so it could have a rejuvenating effect if you're not too badly affected in the build-up to it so like a project restart sort of thing where a lot of the teams did better out of it because they suddenly were just like well you know was it west ham and antonio and he just went off went off and uh, kept them up almost single-handedly where they put a lot of work on the training field after project restart and then suddenly just yes saints were a big winner out of project restart went to about fourth form table just because they'd had a pre um a mid-season pause don't normally get that and that's normally why we fall off a cliff i was going to say um, is uh, aren't say i guess most of the saints defense would have done their a levels by that point so they'll be able to then focus <laughs> full-time on football yeah m- maybe uh <laughs> <laughs> can't be sure <laughs> you guys are all you guys seem to just be like loving buying the kind of 18 19 20 year olds at the moment this is great faith in youth but uh yeah i think we're just playing some kind of football manager simulation at this point where all those wonder kids will have those thank you but yeah i think we came off a season where everyone wanted experience and we've bought none so <laughs> yeah. it only bodes well yeah it's gonna it's gonna be fantastic to target saints every week and to see you be like please don't please we don't want to talk about the result that no, we've knowing done. me i'll probably be like and i'm triple captioning them against southampton yeah there was a football match i did triple captain my player let's not talk about how well it went except my rank is very good so okay it's not that bad and um, I think at, at the up, at the upper end of the league, though, I think what's really interesting is, um, as I mentioned, this kind of great dispersal of points and the trail talisman theory a little bit. Something I found in the data last year was this fascinating sort of flattening, a plateauing of the FPL points landscape. So compared to this last season, so 2021-22, and the season before that, much fewer players actually reached the 100 points threshold than the season before. And far fewer points were scored in that tier. So between 100 and 199 point scorers in the season before, there was a 15% drop in players getting there. And what's really interesting was when I looked at players who had reached the 50 point minimum and the 99 point maximum. So kind of the, you know, the threshold below. And there were much more players in this category in 2021-22 than in prior seasons. And a huge upswing in the actual points scored in that tier. So there was 13% more points scored around sort of 50 to 99 than 100 to 199. And basically what that means is we're seeing a greater distribution of FPL points and therefore players being consistently of interest to us than ever before and a lesser number of players hitting the 100 point threshold which means there's ultimately going to be a 
even smaller, unfortunately, pool of players to fish in. If you think about what we traditionally value as FPL managers, long-term value and a semblance of consistency. And things like talisman numbers were diluted this year or last year. And I think there's going to be a bit of a case of managing expectations when it comes to FPL a little bit this year. There's going to be a great spread of players scoring points. And I think there'll be less dependability than before. And I think there's a couple of impacts to that. We spoke about the World Cup a little bit there. There's a five-sub rule, which is coming in. I'm not sure whether that's going to be that slightly over-egged. I'm not entirely sure yet. But one thing I think may support this a little bit more is the deepening of squads throughout the upper echelons of the league. Um, and I think that will further diminish dependability among the old favourite teams a little bit to some extent. So all kinds of teams, as we've already seen throughout the summer, are making signs to lighten the load and making their squads have quality throughout. So I think Richarlison to Spurs, extra fire on board at Liverpool. I know Mane's left, but Nunez and Vieira and Jesus have joined Arsenal. And it's led to loads of reply guys on Twitter being like, you know, why is he being signed? They've already got this guy in his position. What are they doing? But there's a definite recognition outside of the big teams, the really big teams, Man City and Liverpool, where you get quality to quality, that it's no longer about the best 11 as such. It's about the best 25 or whatever. Clubs obviously strengthen all the time anyway. But it's really noticeable to me, I think, this summer that it's becoming really prominent. And this dispersed the points that I saw last season. I think that will continue a little bit because you've got more options in order to face the kind of fixture congestion the World Cup has created, which I think might mean, Lucy, that, you know, we'll see this disperse the points and there'll be maybe less of those sort of long-term value players that we've seen in the past. What do you think about that? Am I talking garbage or is there some sort of potential impact? No, I think that's very reasonable. And I think it's not even just the kind of mid-table teams that are doing that. I think as much as we joke about Southampton buying all the youngsters in the world, there's a recognition even at you know the lower echelons of the league that if you're playing a team who can make five subs and refresh their squad that much, you're probably going to be in a position where you need to do the same. So I, I don't think it's going to even be limited to, to a part of the table. I think everyone in the league is mm. going to be making the same move. And I think you were already seeing quite a number of kind of high-profile FPL players already being subbed quite a lot under the three-sub rule. So... For example, Son was sub 15 times, Saka was sub 20 times, Jota was sub 17 times, and Madison was sub 14 times. Now, now those are all players, they were all players from teams in Europe. But even then, if you can then leverage that even further with more of the squad, I think it's looking quite a lot like you're going to end up with a lot of 55, 65 minute players. And you need to factor that in. And if you can potentially look elsewhere and get a more reliable 75 plus player who perhaps doesn't come from one of those higher teams, maybe that's worth reconsidering investment. I don't know if we'll get wise to that in terms of how true it is for the first few weeks, because I think we saw teams push hard for five subs and that you know was a big kind of talking point for a long time. And yet we've seen quite a lot of teams I mean, including Man City and Liverpool, who don't use their three subs as it stands. So are they actually going to use the five subs? Can't tell actually yet. Or whether it's just going to be kind of one of those damp squibs of a debate that doesn't really go anywhere. I think to add to your point about teams accumulating players, I think the Spurs wing-back situation, and I'm I'm sure we'll get on to investment at the back later on, but I think the Spurs wing-back situation is a great example of what you were saying in terms of stockpiling if they get Jed Spence, they could be looking at three in 
both sides so six in total and I think that would be something to consider um further along the line but yeah I think I think it's completely right that we will see bigger squads and thus uh, a greater dispersal of points it's it's definitely a truism isn't it that expected minutes is the key thing that you look at with a player I mean someone like Riyad Mahrez for example would be a player that you bring in to do a job for one double game week or you know if there's injuries and he's the only man for the job there's no one else there could possibly play his role and even then Pep would probably play Jinchenko or something in that place and I think you know just to kind of start to touch on the prices a tiny bit one thing I've noticed is there's so many players especially mid-price midfielder bracket and mid-price midfielders last year were really really prominent in talisman theory for example really taking over from the forwards, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in just a bit. But I've noticed there's so many players in the mid-price to kind of mid-high mid, mid price sort of area who are likely to hit auto-pick status if they're able to kind of get consecutive minutes. The likes of Luis Diaz at Liverpool, at eight, Grealish at Man City would be one that you maybe throw in there. I know people kind of started disparaging him a little bit, but seven million had a year under Pep at his belt. We would know that players tend to take a year to flourish under Pep. Even down to like Scutinho and Trossard, who I talked to, I think Talisman Theory, I'm a bit nervous about that one. I mean, it would be all about finding the next Bowen. And I think that, you know, there's definitely a lot of kind of individual sort of prospects there. You've even got the likes of kind of Pulisic at six. If he got a move to say Newcastle or something, he could be really interesting. And there's also Rashford who ended up, I think he, I'll do the final sort of game week one this year versus game week one last year, prices analysis thing for next week. But I think he's the biggest falling star in terms of price. Like He had a 3 million price reduction year on year. That's absolutely flipping huge. 6.5 for him. Like if he nails that starting berth under ETH, he could hit really hit an all-time high. And that could be really interesting. So I think you know it's a truism to say, isn't it, Lucy? But I think you know, minutes suddenly is going to take an even bigger yeah. consideration for us managers. Yeah, and for the boring template players like me, you know, I like I like minutes. Um I'm not prone to gambling on them and I think more than ever you want to be sure you're getting that hour out of that player minimum um, and that sounds ridiculous but I think we could see more pre-hour subs because you're in a position now where if you've got five subs you can make a couple of changes at half time and know that you're okay so I think that's probably another thing to consider um, I think you're absolutely right about the potential in that mid-price bracket I think there are a lot of players that have seen significant drops I think there are quite a few, though, talisman, as I will call them, that have stayed put. And I think that is acknowledgement from FPL that you will get a certain amount of minutes out of them and therefore you will need to pay a premium. So I'm thinking someone like Bowen, for example, I think people were quite surprised that he was eight and a half, although his stats and output can completely justify that. I think people were surprised that he was that little bit above, say, Diaz, Kubizewski, Saka, etc. But I think that is almost priced into him that you will probably get more assurance about minutes from him. Um, Stick with uh, minutes and assurances. I mean, I've uh, part of the initial sort of reaction, as I mentioned earlier on, and this isn't a beige one, this is a justifiable one, is the the real sort of embrace of big at the back. I think last year we, we saw it a little bit, but as has been noted by loads of people, including me, 
last year we saw people going, oh, yeah, I'm going five at the back, I'm four at the back really early. And then by game week one, everyone was in a 3-4-3. Absolutely everybody was. If you weren't, hats off to you for staying in the course, but most people were in the 3-4-3. And this year, people are really looking at it again and thinking, oh, yeah, big at the back is absolutely massive. And it's just, it's really interesting to see this come to fruition, actually. Like, I do think it's an enduring legacy of WGTA to point out the value of defenders. And big at the back, in some ways, is something which you know Nick, in particular, was really pioneering because he was saying about the long, really long-term listeners, the death of the third striker a long, long time ago, and predicting that fourth defender be really interesting like we can't speak to all the pricing yet but that response to defenders is becoming i think more and more pronounced like your average engaged manager now recognizes that paying 7.5 million for trent is likely to be a better investment than paying 7.5 million for bamford at leeds or uh 0.5 million more than for dominic calvert lewin and I think four, four or five at the back will be quite commonplace, at least in the FPL community to begin with. I mean, you've got Cancelo now 7.0 and I think still quite cheap. I saw a few sort of people saying, oh, that's a little bit expensive. I, I simply don't understand that rationale. You had Trent as well. Both of them were in 200 club last season. Robertson, late season resurgence, no World Cup. And then the likes of Rhys James, Ben Chilwell. I mean, all of those kind of players have something really interesting. And comparing them throughout the positions, is, it's just ridiculous. Like if you look at, say, you know, uh, Perisic, we'll talk about him in a second perhaps, but superb value at 5.5 on paper if he gets the minutes. Him as a as defender versus 5.5 for Phil Billing in midfield speaks for itself, as does the fact that if you add Bamford and DCL's value together, they make 15.5, Robertson and Trent 14.5. I expected more movement on both of those sets of pricing. So if we can considering kind of big at the back versus your traditional 3-4-3, I expected that we would get a reduction on those players like DCL and Bamford, given that they, I know Bamford had mitigating circumstances as to why he didn't, but they both didn't really achieve much last season. And if you consider someone like Rashford took such a big hit, I thought some of those mid-price strikers would take a bigger hit, and I was quite surprised they didn't. By the same token, I thought we would see a bigger in increase for Cancelo I thought we'd see a, maybe a half million increase on Trent and mm. I I wondered if the Chelsea defenders would come up to six and a half I think they all represent good value um, I'm a bit reticent to recommend five of them um, just because it leaves you a bit inflexible and I, I like a bit of flexibility but I think four at the back makes so much sense. Um, and I probably will be doing that kind of thing. Um, I think it is worth pointing out that as much as I want to get excited about premium defenders, there are a few health warnings, which I think may come into it a bit more as we go along. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, as I was briefly mentioning earlier, Spurs have stockpiled those wingbacks I think they've been attractively priced, but I think their risk is priced into them. So with three left wing backs and three right wing backs, as much as Conte may have his favourites, I think we'll see rotation there. Um, the data from when he was in Serie A for Inter suggests he rotates those positions quite a lot and subs them quite a lot. Um, so I probably would keep that in mind when I'm looking at Spurs. Um, that said, I think Perisic could be brilliant value. And I think it's worth considering the Chelsea wing-backs as they currently are. I think they're nicely nailed, given that we're likely to see Alonso 
and or as per the to leave. But I've seen several suggestions that Tuckle would like to look at uh, a different shape or formation and they therefore would move back to fullbacks. Cancelo and Trent illustrate that fullbacks in a back four aren't necessarily a bad thing, but I think that probably would dampen some of my enthusiasm for those guys. So I think there are a couple of things just to bear in mind when you're looking at those. I think they're still worth investment and I don't think that will change my position significantly, but maybe five might be a step too far. Yeah, perhaps. I, I agree with that. I was going to say about the the four at the back thing there as well, according to the Athletic about what um, Tuchel was trying to do at Chelsea. And you know, Perisic is one that seems to be garnering a lot of interest at the moment. I mean, the data basically says he's he's Alonso in his prime at Spurs or uh, someone like Kostic at, at Frankfurt for those who are a bit uh, Europhiles. Um, you know, on face value, I thought somebody who's my age coming into the Premier League was something to be a bit sceptical of. Looks at the data and you know that, that it is very good. And he's in the, he's in the 95th and above percentile for all the main threat, you know, XAEXG per 90 sort of thing among fullbacks. So that's very good. It's just a case of it, of kind of not getting swept away by the bandwagon. Like if you look at it and think, oh, okay, well, this guy coming into the Premier League, a different sort of league to the one he's played in. I mean, every league has a tax when you move from it to the Premier League. If there's a Bundesliga tax, there's definitely a Serie A tax. I think it'll be really interesting to see how he does. And as you say, it's, it, the risk is priced in for a lot of these players. Feasibly, you may say that Cancelo and Trent are two who I think are going to be fairly templates. Used a horrible T word very, very early on. And I think it just comes back, doesn't it, to managing expectations here. And we may see a lot of people kind of starting with this big at the back idea and swiftly being turned off it because you end up with, you know, the Reese James effect where the guy either gets double digits or gets one point. There's no in between. Perhaps that could be extenuated this year, magnified this year. I think that's very possible. I was just about to say, I think the situation we're in with that five sub rule could make those more frequent, which is going to probably turn people insane. Um, but I think in those high pressure positions like wing backs, where there's a lot of kind of physical expectation on players, they are more likely to be subbed, whether you like it or not. And that's going to be particularly painful. A, if it's uh, you know a 58th minute sub just before a clean sheet, or be kind of a total rotation, which could easily happen in the case of Spurs, where you've got so many options. Um, I think what I like about those Chelsea players is that they have fewer options as we're speaking right now. And it, it I haven't heard a huge number of links to fullbacks, given that they've got such a dearth of centre-backs at the moment. So that's definitely something to consider. I also wanted to throw into this big at the back debate. And I don't know what you think of this. I think we, we've got more value out of four and a half defenders than we expected. Um, I don't know if that kind of comes into your reckoning at all on that one. Do you know what? The, the saddest thing about my reaction to the price reveals thus far has been that I did a really, really nerdy fist pump when I saw Lewis Dunk was 4.5. That is the extent of my sadness when it comes to... You can FPL. tell you an FPL old timer if you're fist pumping... But- but that, that that really caught my eye because I'm an adherent, right, of having a 90-minute man as your first sub, you know, or your 11th man throughout the season. And for the 11th man, it's great because, you know, they can either be 
in your team or you, know, you can play somebody else like another risky sort of midfielder that you own and Lewis Dunk in particular he's avoided it for a couple of years the 0.5 million sort of rating but he's the kind of player who could provide ridiculous value at sub one or just a 11th man as I mentioned before because you know, he's got the old goal or assist potential in there a lot of bonus potential and he's probably as nailed as they come in terms of kind of um, that sort of defender and there's loads of value across that sort of spot and you, you're kind of thinking there that you look at it and the Leicester guys as well like they came out today with James Justin and, and um, uh, Ricky P Ricardo Pereira and also examples of a, a, the sort of player who can really do well in that Source of area, and the the Arsenal guys as well, obviously White and Tommy Asu. So that's another. I think there's value there. Um, I think there's value across the four and a half, and that's again the kind of thing that makes me think that investing in all five positions at the back might be a bit much when you can get such good value out of the four and a halfs. And at the time of recording, there seems to be a lot of question marks about what you can get from the other positions um, at budget levels. Um, So that would be another thing that would incline me towards less investment but not too too little if that makes sense i think invest in four positions and leave that one open to those lovely four and a half yeah harry was just said oh you know i always do four four two at the start of the season and most i didn't really listen to him to be honest but i think that was one thing that i did listen to yeah i thought exactly the same thing i thought yeah i need to remember to do that yeah it's a very good idea the other one actually is i think we'll talk about it probably in the first uh the, the pod before the season kicks off is I, the biggest thing that I've always wanted to do for years and years is keep 0.5 million in the bank at the start of the season and going with nice 9.5 because a 0.1 price rise is basically a 0.5 price rise at the start of the year. So having that 0.5 just gives you that extra flexibility to do stuff. And I think that that's, I'm going to try to do it, but we'll see what happens when the game over. Every single season I try to do it and every single season by the you know penultimate day I'm like well I just have that half million um because I think theoretically you're absolutely right in the sense that you could afford a fair few rises and and not panic whereas I get to that point at the beginning of the season where I think there's a target he's about to go up you end up with some really hasty early transfer and a lot of regret so yeah (laughs) maybe we should make a pact to go 442 with half a million in the bank well, let's do the prices first. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I think from from what we from what we know at the moment, I I wouldn't be surprised. And I was, I'm guessing, you know, by the time this goes out, or at least the time people listen to this, the game would have opened, and and maybe you are sit that sat there with four four two and zero point five million in the bank, and uh, maybe that would be the way to go. But hey, drafting is drafting. Right? I love how you've already given up on the idea now. No, no, I I, I really want to do it. I think that like, every year I've kind of looked back and gone, oh, well, if I'd done four four two, I really dislike this kind of whole. Oh, you know, I've come up with something new and brilliant. Oh, look, price points. Yay. I mean, for me, that's fairly obvious. But at the end of the day, like, I like the idea that you've got the extra flexibility with 442 just to move things around and do things. And I think that kind of nicely brings us on. We spoke about midfielders a little bit, and I think we can, we should probably we'll probably go back to them and speak about premiums. I think we need to speak about them. But I've seen the, the, the casualty of this kind of five at the back the casualty of people kind of having enhanced prominence of uh, midfield and also the casualty of last year the retardant force of last year when forwards were absolutely awful is that those people now are kind of going oh you know well uh, people are drafting up on you know, live fpl or whatever with one forward a lot of the time most is just erling harland and i guess you know, do you think forwards are going to recover this year lucy or do you think that's it I would have liked, as I mentioned earlier, for them to be rejuvenated by a bit of a price switch. 
I think some of those prices have held and I'm not sure they kind of had a reason to hold. Um, I think that should have been looked at in a bit more detail. You did mention just briefly there a lot of people drafting with one striker. I understand why, because there is such little value underneath the premium strikers and understandably people want to invest at the back or in midfield. But obviously, and it goes without saying, but people don't always think this through, you need to play one striker. If Haaland gets an injury, um, an injury that you're not aware of, or he gets a rest, which seems fairly likely with kind of pep roulette, you then don't have a striker. So if you don't, if you can't get a striker off the bench, you're down to 10 men. So as much as I understand why people want to do it, I think you need to bear that in mind when building your bench. So two, four and a half strikers could be a bit lopsided and leave you with a few headaches. So just wanted to put that one out there. Maybe we consider that one. To go back to strikers, I think you're either looking at the very cheap or the very expensive. I don't think there's a lot in the middle. The only ones I wanted to highlight was Wilson. I think Wilson's decent value in yep. a <laughs> decent value in a team that we expect to improve and is on a kind of upward trajectory. Maybe Watkins also could be all right. Wilson and Watkins are the only ones that I've kind of looked at in seriously. And then of course Tony, because Brentford's opening fixtures are good. Those are the only three I've really looked at with any kind of serious intent. And I was kind of expecting Wilson would get price reduction, but he didn't get one. Um, no. But I, I guess that's seven. acknowledgement that Newcastle are, are the team to have. I was hoping for seven, seven for yeah, Wilson, but I, was... I, I knew that wasn't going to happen. I didn't think it would. And we'll <laughs> speak about that a lot next week, that's for sure. I mean, t- Tony's interesting, actually. What was really interesting about Tony is that the, a lot of his points were scored at the back end of last season. And there are just two words for why that is, and it's Christian Eriksen. I looked at Brentford's data over the back end of last season. I looked at Ivan Tony's data over the back end of last season. And there was just a huge uptick over his last 10 games. And that coincided with Ericsson starting to play 90 minutes every game. He missed one game. I think it was game week 30, I think. I think it was Leicester he didn't play. And I think that there's a bit of a concern with Tony there because Ericsson looks to have sold out and gone to Man United. But hey, I mean, I I think in general with the forwards, I mean, there's definitely, last year we saw this declining value in the forwards, which we all sort of picked up on. We all intuited throughout the course of the season. That was brought out in Talisman theory as well. So the number of them who were Talisman two years ago was 12. And I was saying, oh, forwards ruled the roost. This year, it was just six. Well, last year, it was just six. So six of the remaining 17 clubs. I mean, obviously, you have the likes of Pookie and Dennis being the Watford and Norwich talisman. But who cares? They've gone. And of those six, one shouldn't be a forward anyway. That was St. Maxima because Wilson was injured. And for Wolves, Raul Jimenez actually shared the talismanship with uh, Jose Saar, the goalkeeper. Because they, they, Oh, crikey. They, That's they, just an indication of Wolves, isn't it? <laughs> As an indication of, sadly, you know, obviously with the tragic events of what happened with Jimenez, I think there's still a bit of an effect there. Um, but yeah, there were loads of things like poor performances linked with injury addlement as well. Dominic Calvert-Lewin disappeared. Bamford disappears. I mean, those were two really prominent players back in 2019-20. And I think and the, the problem is Everton and Leeds look a lot worse than they did in 1920-20. I mean, Everton have got those financial problems that will probably curb their recruitment. Leeds have obviously lost... Phillips and will probably lose Rafinha so that's going to have a significant impact on them so even if those players don't have fitness 
problems like they had last season, they're not in the same team context that they were in at that time either. I'm, I'm just the, the only thing with the forwards, and I think we'll see it once we've seen all the prices and starts to really mess around with it. Is I just want to be a bit cautious about overreacting too much with last season. Like the worst thing you can do as a military commander is set up your army to fight the last battle. And I kind of feel like there could be a semblance of that in what yes. we're seeing at the moment. You know, every season's got got its own timbre, it's got its own sort of impact. There are things like, as I mentioned earlier, that dispersal of points scored that are kind of external shocks which are affecting that. But I'm a bit cautious about overreacting to last season. As you said, you know, if you do end up with just Halland plus two 4.5 forwards on the bench, that can leave you probably a little bit open at times to being a bit lopsided, a bit a bit inflexible. And you've got to remember, you know, last year, at the start of the season at least, the likes of Antonio, also Danny Ings as well, started okay in terms of point scoring. And there's this sort of absence of form at the moment. Mm. Um, form in heavily inverted commas. But does form pick up where it left off at the end of last season? Absolutely no, it doesn't. And there's decent fixtures for a lot of players, at least on paper. So I, I kind of just, I, I kind of would sound the note of caution about rising off the strikers entirely. And as you said, there are a couple of players who look okay within the middle middle bracket. There are probably a few players as well in kind of the a cheap bracket who could do something. But I wonder whether at the kind of the business end with the likes of Jesus going to Arsenal, Erling Haaland, Nunez at their respective clubs could mean the forwards kind of roar back into action. Um, I, yes, I, I think that's the avenue where forwards will come back into action will be if those, because I mean, you'll have a fit Vardy as well. So Jesus and Vardy at a similar-ish price and then you've gone and kind of got the next echelon up. I think those those strikers could infuse a bit more into the category and I completely agree with what you're saying with regards to kind of team structure and making it so that if a Wilson or a Calvert-Lewin or that kind of um, bracket of player do start finding form in whatever way you want to call that you've got some way to get there fairly easily Mm. I think those four and a half leave you a long way short and you're probably doing some pretty awkward transfers to try and find the money so I probably wouldn't start with them but I probably would leave yourself kind of a bit of leverage to get there and a bit of an idea of what you might do but yes I think on paper it looks like the the premium forwards will be the one but I'm sure there will be signs from the bracket below um it's just a case of working out who it will be really yeah it simply didn't happen last year I mean you saw Kane being one who was worth considering and the likes of Dennis and co being tactically brought in by managers but it, it didn't it never really got anywhere did it in terms of the forwards I just I just wonder whether that's going to continue whether that's a trend or it's just a blip just because two years ago like we forget things so easily in the FPL space I remember like last season the season before that and the season before that we were having all of the same conversations all of the same reactions about the prices being released and things like that oh it's too cheap oh it's too easy it's it's always the same it really is and you've just got to be able to focus on how you can make it work for this season not how the prices looked last season how that transposes onto this season it just doesn't work that way um, and I think that you know I'm, I'm going to try at least not get caught into the trap of being like oh yeah well this worked last season therefore it's going to work this I still think for, I still think big at the back is worth 
kind of considering. I still think the mid-price mids have their role, as we've discussed. It's just I've got some skepticism about going too short at the front. Yes, <laughs> I think that's I some, 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 something perhaps we'll pick up on this week when we've got a full list of prices. And the final thing to talk about this week is the initial premium kind of thoughts that we've got. And I think I, I said earlier on about the dread of effective ownership, but it looks like Solarland is going to be the the one, isn't it, really, to begin with. I just can't see past getting out of that perpetual nightmare of EO. I mean, as Simon March, as you'll hear in a few weeks' time from the Behavioral Science podcast, you, you can't win FPL in the first few game weeks, but you can definitely lose it. And I think you look at that and you just think, bloody hell. Like, if you go beyond, without those two, as it stands right now, you're going to go in for a bit of a pasting, aren't you, if they do well? Yes, and I think as much as I don't like to look at these things too much or kind of put too much weight on them, if I'm right in thinking, he has quite a good opening day record. Not that my memory for these things is very good. Um, well, Salah, yes, quite a good. He's returned every. He's I think he's got double digits every single bloody time. Yeah, it could have. It's, it's one of those things where you look back at and you think, oh, I could triple captain him every time on the game week one. Another new promoted club as well. So like. therefore, yes. So therefore, go without him at your peril. Um, I won't be doing it. Uh, I will have definitely have Salah in. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's not that that's a shock to anyone who actually knows how I play that I will be having something. I know people were looking at Diaz, and I think Diaz is potentially really good value. I think he won't be as nailed as Mane typically was, but he's a good good site keeper. But I don't think that you need to choose between them necessarily. I know a lot of people are big on Robertson, but I think you've got so many different options at the back. You could quite easily just make your three Liverpool players Salad Diaz and Trent or Salad Diaz and Robinson if you fancy. So I don't think that's too much of an issue. I don't think you need to choose between Salah and Diaz, as some people were suggesting. I don't know what your thought is on that, Tom. I think, yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. And you could definitely find that you know, Diaz turns out to be the third Liverpool pick, or it turns out that you end up covering the price point to in order to get to that player. I mean, that could have obviously been another way of doing it, but I mean, Liverpool do start decently and you know, the uh, attacking it early year on year on year like we've had loads of veterans on the pod like some Abdul FPL Salah like some Matthew Jones etc etc and they've all said you know a good start is basically the nub of it because then you've got something to defend on uh, rather than somebody like me who ends up you know 400k um, by game week six and then you're kind of climbing the mountain the only thing that I'm really interested in this year not the only thing, but one of the things that have really interested me this year, again, maybe tapping into what I was saying about the forwards perhaps coming roaring back, is that 200 club. Like, I live in hope that things are going to be a bit better in terms of the premiums. I mean, three or four seasons ago, we had situations where eight players reached that 200 clubs, and many of them were premiums, like so KDB, Mane, Vardy, or Bamiyang, Sterling. They all gave you options. And back in the midst of time, lots of hazard as well uh, were very, very useful sort of counter the counterculture picks. And that's not really been the case for the last few years. I mean, I feel like the last few years, we've all been corralled into kind of owning the same players. Famously, 2019-20 was probably the apex of how horrible this was. I say horrible. If you're doing well and you've got it on I enjoyed a, it great. Fair enough. Exactly. But you, know, you had Salah, Kane, Son, Bruno. You were done. You, you, that, that was it. You had the, had all four of them in your team. Finished. 
happy. You know, the rest of your team didn't matter because you had those players. And it was just kind of, there was no way of changing where you were. I'm hoping that maybe not in the 200 club, but if there's a dilution of that, as I've been suggesting, but overall, I'm hoping there'll be opportunities in the premiums to utilize them a bit to make the difference for you. I mean, especially if everything's now magnified into a zero-sum game of haves and have-nots because everybody's following the same team, has the same advice, most sellers enduring brilliance side. And I think it would be good to have some more variety there. And I'm hoping the likes of Talon do give us that because it's been quite difficult to with the premiums. They are the ones you lobby captaincy on and that magnifies their impacts on FPL. And I'm just hoping that that doesn't happen this year i'm hoping there will be some semblance of choice it's it's just the case that with everything that i've mentioned in terms of the effects of the world cup uh, as we've mentioned as well i, I just I, it's more living in hope than thinking it's actually going to come to pass you know yeah i think so i think yes harland adds in an extra option up top but i can't actually see that much diversification further back and I think you're going to be talking about a similar crop of players I don't know what you think on that one maybe I think what could be really interesting one is if Sterling goes to Chelsea I think that could yes. be really interesting yeah definitely um, the other one would be I mean we've all re- obviously again there's that sort of mental image in our mind of Man United being absolute trash but if ETH is able to reinvigorate them then Bruno could become a son where he's a cut price premium at 10. Yes. I mean, yeah. I guess I hadn't really thought about him because he's not priced up like a premium. Um, I think Man United general actually a one to watch just because you've got, as we mentioned earlier, Rashford, but you've also got Sancho, maybe a new striker given the way Cristiano Ronaldo is responding at the moment. And, you know, quite a lot of recruitment to go there. I would expect if they're going to be anything like good um, this season, they haven't really done anything. So Man United are definitely ones to watch and you could therefore end up with premiums that aren't premium, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it, is, it has definitely been interesting in terms of the fact that I, I was, when I saw KDB's at 12 million, I saw that Haaland's at 11.5. I saw that Son was 12 million, Kane was 11.5. The 0.5s is reflected in the as we know it, the the points and bonus structure. So that may have changed by the time we listened to this. But it's one, it's one of those where I was looking at it and kind of thinking, oh, you know, there's a potential that we're all kind of thrust down the same avenue and making the change between the premiums is going to be quite a herd mentality sort of thing. So I'm, I'm just hoping it's not the case. I'm hoping there are more options this year. We will see. But I think overall, just to summarise, for me, it is about a potential note of caution in terms of all of the positions and we'll come on to pricing and everything like that next week in terms of value but I, I just think I just hope that it's it's not going to be as chaotic as, as last year was but part of me thinks it is going to be just because of this World Cup in the middle regardless of what I think of it you if you listen to this you can probably guess what my thoughts are but I mean I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to the idea that it's planned chaos so I don't mind that it's disruptive as long as I can see it coming which was definitely my problem last season that I'm not a particularly kind of good on the fly reactive player but I can plan for those kinds of things so I'm hoping that it's not too mad that you know the 
disruption is something that we can prepare for and have ideas and prepare our squads in a kind of proper way as opposed to last time where it was just there's a random player that's not playing did you know that was going to happen no you didn't so that's what I think that's what's really interesting to me as a final sort of helicopter view point to use the the classic Brendan Rogers phrase last year it was all the, the planners like yourself Lucy were absolutely thrown out of whack because there was no way that your tried and trusted methods were going to work when taking a risk became the de facto way to roll the transfer taking a minus four was tantamount to rolling your transfer because of the way things worked out you're not kind of built your mentality and your risk appetite isn't built to kind of deal with that situation which may be led to where you ended up this year because it's the element of planned chaos as i said way way ago as soon as it was like now versus random chaos but there's a bit of hope for us engaged in the community and probably managers who are better like better than me like yourself that at least you'll be able to plan for that chaos I'm, I'm if touch- we just end on a note of hope there i mean that's, that's I'm, I'm, very I'm, unlike us I'm, I'm touching all sort of wood here <laughs> that covid won't rear its ugly head over the christmas period it may do let's let's face it yeah or that may um, imagine plan chaos plus random chaos i just feel like we'll end up without like kind of content creators playing fpl and no one else but i mean hopefully this year it won't happen and hopefully this year you'll have that sort of sense of being able to use strategy rather than using tactics. And I think that to link back to the very start of the podcast, one of the things we try to do throughout is the old adage that if you give a man a fish, he'll fish for a day, teach a man to fish, he'll fish for a lifetime. I think that that's kind of what we try to do is that the man is the manager. And I think that that's kind of you know, what's, what's important, I think, and what we'll try to do over the course of this season. So hopefully that was very useful. Hopefully that was interesting just to hear our kind of initial thoughts. Touched a little bit on prices. As we mentioned, you know, there's a few things that we're kind of saying, well, if this happens, I know it may be slightly out there by tomorrow or whenever when the game launches. Hopefully that was really, really useful in terms of just our initial thoughts. Just to get you thinking a little bit, get, get the juices flowing ahead of the season ahead. Oh, well, there we go, Lucy. We've done it. So first <laughs> pod proper. Um, I know we've done two already in reality, but it's our first pro- proper of the season. How did you feel? How did that go for you? Well, we're about to find out when everyone pans it. Um, but thanks for everyone uh, listening to that. My first ever pod as co-host. We were Who Got the Assist. If you enjoyed listening to this, even with this new co-host, please like and subscribe to the podcast. For new listeners out there, if you think you'll be coming back, please hit that five-star rating across platforms like iTunes and Spotify so more people can enjoy the pod. Yeah, please do that on Twitter. I am at WCA underscore FPL. I'm sure you already know that. And Lucy is at Lucy Highnet with two T's. I think we need to say that. There's some poor lady out there called Lucy Highnet with one T being barracked by people who's being like, oh, why are you saying that about Southampton? Dear me, that's ridiculous. She's like, I'm only here to talk about Love Island. What are you talking about? Anyway, <laughs> anyway thanks so much indeed for listening, everybody. Go ahead and do all of those things. We hope you enjoyed this. We'll be back next week with a full fat price analysis and we hope we assisted you and we'll speak to you again very very soon all right have a good week enjoy the opening of fpl i really hope you all get a low id i'm in meetings so i bet i won't (laughs) speak to you soon goodbye oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist
Sports Social Podcast Network.